0: Welcome to Dreaming Artificially, the podcast helping artists connect, share and create. Join your hosts, Joanna and Gina, to get advice, hear artists' stories and be inspired.
1: Hi artists and welcome to Dreaming Artificially. Today we're heading to Sweden, where we chat with creative soprano Anna Thunström.
2: Anna develops experimental performances around English Renaissance music and explores ways to transport early music into a contemporary setting. Good morning, Anna. Good morning to Sweden. Welcome to Artificial Dreams' second podcast. Thank you. And can you tell us a bit about yourself and your projects there in in Sweden?
3: Um, Okay, so yeah. Uh, my name is Anna, and I'm a singer. Um, right now, I'm studying a master's, uh, and it's called um, Contemporary Performative Arts. So it's sort of a, it's like an interdisciplinary master with um, like people from all over. So like it's it's me and five others, um, and I come from the field of music, and they come from performance or dance or um, acting or whatever. And we each have our own project that we look into. And um, before I um, started studying this master's, uh, I used to live in London, where I met you guys. But before this, I used to do some from a classical background. So I do classical singing, mainly performing mostly in churches, recitals, you know, the the sort of typical classical performance type of singing, you could say. And um, when I moved to London, I got into early music
2: much more, uh, specifically Renaissance music. You've had a lot of experience performing this style of music, right?
3: Yes, I was... uh, I was super lucky, actually, to meet uh, like my idol, Emma Kirby. And she, um, at, at the same time as I was in London, she opened up this opportunity for um, singers and lute players to join her in a performance in a Brighton Early Music Festival. Uh, I auditioned with my luteinist. And um, after that, we did this performance and that sort of turned into a group called Down Works.
1: Uh, and we did lots of performances during the years I was in London. So, Anna, this uh, discussion came about um, after a conversation that you and I have had in the past. Um, and you said that you're a naturally shy person. Um, but performing as a singer is something that gives you very little place to actually hide. So, on top of the pressures of live performance, you can't actually hide behind an instrument like other musicians can. So, as a shy person, how do you deal with this? What made you get into singing in the first place?
3: Uh, yeah, I've been thinking loads about that because um, it's such a s- strange thing. <laughs> I <laughs> think you know, like why? Um, but I think like I've always I've always loved singing, so I've done that from like you know forever. Um, and I think it's um, at least starting. It was the singing in the right context. So like my mom told me that. You know, yeah, I was super shy in school. I uh, refused to sing in the um, what do you call it? nativity play in school, mm-hmm. even though my music teacher asked me to, because I thought that was way too embarrassing and I didn't want to. But sort of at the same time, I asked my mom if I could go into the nearest city because uh, I I grew up in a like a small town. Uh, if I could go into their near city and join the choir there and sing with them and, yeah, so I think maybe for me it was sort of too, I felt maybe too vulnerable doing it in school with, you know, classmates that I didn't really feel sort of comfortable with
1: or something. So the difference being that um, if you're singing in front of people you don't know, there's less of yourself coming out or less of yourself that you're putting on show. Do you think that was the difference?
3: I think maybe I could sort of, you know, going to the choir in the city, I could sort of, in a way, maybe choose who I wanted to be. Like, they didn't have the entire, like, Anna in school uh, sort of context. They only had, you know, oh, this is a, a girl and she's good at singing. And I became someone there that I wasn't in school.
1: Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. That's really interesting. And it just just when you said that, it made me think. So all three of us have uh, at some point have you know moved from our home countries to London, and it's almost yeah. like you've got that same approach that when you're in a new city, you can basically be who you want, and there's elements of your yourself that you can leave behind, and you yeah, can, yeah. So did you feel like being in London gave you an opportunity to explore unknown sides of yourself and your music?
3: Um, I mean, I I went to London. Um, sort of not planning to stay as long as I did, like most people, um, and not really thinking it was uh, for the sake of music either, to be honest. Um, so I, I had, a, I just graduated from uh, like the music academy in Sweden, um, and I sort of wasn't looking forward to start teaching, um, or I was just thinking, you know, oh, I'm not ready for this, I'm not ready for... The sort of life that I'm supposed to live. Um, so I actually went to London to study acting, um, to get into the the, um, the English language a bit more and to sort of own it and feel it and live live in English. And then just before I moved, I managed to get a hold of this America, this email address, and sort of like for my own sake, for fun, I emailed her and asked you know, would it be at all possible to, to see you for a lesson? Um, and so I did. And then she was the one encouraging me to find myself a luteinist and, you know, like get in touch with the London Lute Society. And I was like, what? What, what's, what's the London Lute Society? And, and <laughs> what's a thing thing about? <laughs> um, so that sort, of, that sort of all happened at the same time. Like I studied acting. And um, I started playing with this lute player, Wessie, Elliot, and I got to know, um, yeah, I sort of started owning English a bit more. And I guess uh, I was, yeah, in a way it was sort of, you know, to answer your question, it was sort of starting again and, and leaving some stuff behind. Like I was trained to be a singing teacher. And I sort of left that in a way because I thought, ah, hang on, I'm, I, I need to learn more myself. So I left that
2: and I found loads of things uh, during the time that I lived in London. And one of those things being your performance in Darkness Let Me Dwell. Uh, Yeah. Can you tell us about it? So um, I got the idea
3: from uh, well, really getting to know uh, lute songs, like English Renaissance lute songs. uh, Many, many, many of them are like very very melancholy and very very sad and um, I, there's something about like melancholy music that really, I really, it speaks to me, I really really enjoy it somehow and I went to this course and I, someone sang a song that I hadn't heard before um, and it was like the saddest song ever. Can, we, uh, can you tell us what song that was? Um, Eyes Look No More. It's called by John Daniel. And uh, it, um, yeah, it's, it's all about like, there's nothing worth in this world to see or to hear or to experience because like joy and and um, delight are just like not uh, real things, not things that you can actually trust. But grief and remorse are true things that you can really sort of hold on to uh, so it's it's really really dark song and I listened to this in this masterclass and I thought huh you know this 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 text and this music is so beautiful and so wonderful and I don't really want to sit here and and listen to it and sort of have this listening face on and sort of force myself to to look interested I just want to lie down and, and listen to this um, so that's sort of how it started. I thought, hmm, hang on. I need to make this performance. I need to sort of... So darkness, Let Me Dwell is uh, a performance where I collected like all the melancholy songs from the English Renaissance and put them together and the audience come in and there's a room with uh, blankets and cushions and fairy lights. It's a really nice and warm room and the audience come in and lie
2: down. Completely different experience of music to to uh, the usual concert halls and auditoriums.
3: Yeah, because I often, I often think in uh, like in, in smaller performances uh, where the audience, you know, there might be like ten people or something. You feel that they sort of uh, have a responsibility to listen or look like they're listening and pay attention and you know that sort of thing and you know that that's nice but i i would like to take that pressure away and just just lie down you know lie down and and, and listen and and don't give me anything until afterwards you know then then i'd love to hear your uh, experience and you know what what happened for you but but, yeah, just sort of lie down and, and listen. And I think specifically the melancholy bit of it I find really important because um, I think it's a, a thing that we choose to push aside.
1: Yeah, I think that's, really, um, that's a really important aspect of the piece, as you said, because, I mean, it's something that society often tells us, like, okay, we just, just get over it almost. So it's something that is not really discussed as often as it should be. Um, yep. So do you think that when you were performing these pieces, did you need, was that something that was quite personal? Did you need to sort of give yourself space to feel those emotions as well? Or was it purely for the audience?
3: Well, I do feel it when I sing it. Um, like I do allow myself to go all in. And, and often when you sing this sort of music, it's... Um, you know, you're looking for a specific quality or you're looking for a specific tone uh, that matches um, the way that this music often is performed, like the style of the music, the typical early music performance. Um, And then the text is often sort of secondary somehow. And when I sing this music and the audience, they don't look at me, they're sort of in wrong worlds. I allow myself to be more affected by the words. I think, mm-hmm. and so it not come out exactly like the sort of typical, um, you know, perfect recording sort of sound. But uh, I think somehow it's 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 really true to me.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because it almost it ties back to what we were talking about at the beginning um, of the interview. And you were saying that um, it you know singing for people that you know um, makes you feel very vulnerable. Um, having been in one of these performances I can firstly say that it was absolutely amazing and second of all i interested to how, how you approached it given that um, I know that there were several people in the audience that you did know quite well, um, so was there, did you feel like you were more vulnerable um, performing for these people with such a, a kind of I guess delicate topic or something that really you, you put so much of yourself into?
3: Um. I think like I think like in the in the in the beginning of my singing days or whatever that's uh, that's when I felt vulnerable singing around people I know. I think nowadays I don't as much, um, but I do enjoy singing more if I feel sort of safe and if I feel comfortable. And and all the the people that came supporting this when I did in darkness in. In 2015 in London, I just felt such like support and love from the audience. So I didn't care that I knew
2: like most of them. What What is it that it makes you feel safe? Is it, as you said, the love of the of the audience? Is it uh, the songs that you've chosen? What 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 could that be?
3: Uh, probably uh, like a combination. Like obviously, if I feel like I like I really like own the music that I really. Um, that I'm free to express it and I know it and it's not like too difficult, uh, that's one safe bit. But also, um, yeah, also like the, the context, if it's sort of my, if I can be the way that I want to be, like the, if, I, if I'm allowed to sort of not um, act like I'm a, a big classical singer and if, if I can just be um, sort of myself and sing this music, that's when I feel safe. Like, for instance, I had, like, one of my, like, most um, wonderful memories uh, from singing uh, was when I had a a living room concert, like, in my living room uh, with my lutenist, And there were, like,
0: maybe
3: 10, 13 people in the audience, and we were all sort of, like, hanging around, and we were... Playing the music and we're talking about it and it, we were laughing and, and it was I was allowed to just be me singing this music and I can go I could go in and out of it as well like I could like jump into this uh, sadness and melancholy of the music and and when I was finished I could just go out of it and 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 be myself so it wasn't like you know I have to stay in in this like in this mood or in this sort of theatrical sort of um, atmosphere that I created, it was more like like the melancholy was a method to sort of cleanse, to sort of you know get in there and let it rinse through, and then you can come out on the other side and you know breathe a bit. Yeah
1: amazing I, I love that you said that because that was pretty much my experience of being of being the audience for in darkness it just felt like it was a really cleansing experience so allowing yourself to feel these emotions that we don't often allow ourselves to and then coming out and having people to discuss and share um, share the experience with
3: yeah yeah and it was uh, like you were saying before that you know we're not sort of we don't really allow these feelings into our lives. And that's, I think, you know, what we talked about before with social media as well, like how we're sort of constantly portraying ourselves as super successful and super happy. And it's, uh, you know, we create a profile of ourselves that isn't necessarily ourselves. Things That's why I want to address them, you know, just, you know, just dig in a bit and, and, and feel it. And, and, and it might actually be good for you
2: somehow. Absolutely. Um, so you said before that um, you came to London not planning to sing but to act. However, when you started singing... Um, you really gave yourself into it. you were very passionate and excited about it and you took responsibility of all aspects of, of singing, like the venues, like the marketing, the promotion, and of course choosing um, right um, materials, to sing, studying it a lot. Um, I just I found it very interesting that you know uh, your plan, even though your plans kind of changed, you were very, very passionate about it.
3: Um, It was actually things that I hadn't really done before because when I I studied uh, in the music academy, I was, you know, sort of just a part of the academy and I I was there being a good student and I did what they sort of told me to. Like the only thing I actually produced um, on my own in Sweden was my uh, graduation concert. And that that was actually a really great experience because then, like, the dumb thing, in a way, is to sort of pick out the most, um, like, the most difficult pieces that you've conquered over the years or, like, um, you know, it's a bit of a... It could be a bit of a, like, show-off moment. Like, I'm gathering everyone and look at me and that. Um, And, like, during my time studying, I sort of more and more felt like, well, I have to focus on the joy of singing because I've lost that so many times, you know, trying to deliver or whatever. So my graduation concert was actually in three parts. So it was um, some baroque music and then it was me singing with my singing ensemble. So I was just a part of a group and then it was me singing music that i have written. That was more like sort of, sing a song your pop music because it just gives me a lot of joy.
1: I really love that you did that for your graduation concert because, I mean, I can speak from personal experience that um, in the sort of conservatory environment there is so much pressure to be to, to put on that show-offy concert um, and, you know, look what I can do. But I love the fact that you went back to your roots and said, no, I've, I've done this because I love it and this is what I want to do not what's expected of me. So I think that's fantastic.
3: Yeah, it was a really good experience, I think. And maybe that sort of made it easier to um, to do similar things in London. I don't know. But the thing with the producing in London was that, you know, I hadn't really done it before. So I hadn't much experience, but I felt really strongly for the music and I was um, learning as I went somehow. And... Just try to like ask people how do you do this? How do you do this? And what do you...? and and um, I think that's the way I learned how to sort of produce my own things and and how, why I, like how come I did it with such passion because it was it was new and and um, I, I felt strongly for it, which in a way perhaps I hadn't uh, when I was studying music because then I was there to please
1: somehow yeah so um and I wanted to ask you about Barcelona if that's okay yes yes so uh you were in Barcelona during the recent terrorist attack um and you you said that you didn't feel comfortable announcing to the Facebook world that you were safe um because you felt it was making too much of a big deal of of yourself um is that that is the case yes
3: yeah I I don't I don't like I can't really um I can't really say why i Thought like that. I know it's just instantly. I don't want to make too much of a fuss. I don't want to make myself that important. And uh, I don't want to, like, I sort of imagine if I posted something, people would uh, reply with, you know, lots of love in various ways. And there would all be people who I know sort of don't know me. That, you know, they're not they're perhaps. I mean, some would. Some some would be my, my actual friends, but there would be, like, loads of comments from people that I haven't heard from, like, for years. And it felt strange and odd somehow. So I only, like, I texted, the like, my family and and some friends that got in touch, like, you know, so I will let everyone who sort of wondered if I was safe. I replied to, obviously, but... Uh, It was my mum putting uh, something on my Facebook wall, like, thanks for texting me that you're safe. So uh, people wouldn't wonder as much.
1: So what I find really interesting about this is uh, pretty much the same time you posted from your business page on Facebook, inviting everyone to come and hear you sing at the next performance of In Darkness. Um, So what's the difference for you uh, in terms of, you don't want to make a big deal of yourself, but at the same time, you're want you you promoting yourself in this way?
3: I mean, I, I wouldn't post uh, come and hear me sing at the same time as,
1: you know, people were wondering if I was safe. Sure, yeah, sorry, that was probably bad wording <laughs> on my part. It was <laughs> several days apart, I'm sure.
3: That was like a, a few weeks later. Yeah. But, yeah, it's I, I guess I see Facebook more as... Um, a way of, you know, getting people to come to my uh, performances or or know, sort of keep keep up to date what I'm doing sort of performance-wise. But uh, there is a resistance, I have to confess. uh, even, Even inviting people to my performance, like even inviting people to In Darkness Let Me Dwell that I'm super proud of and that I really, really want people to come to, still like sitting there and select people that, Oh, it's really odd. Why do you think that That's, is? Why, yeah, what is it that holds you back? Uh, maybe Jantelagen, um, which is like a, a Swedish uh, sort of rule almost, that, you know, don't, don't think you're anything special. You sort of don't make yourself
1: to seem more than you actually are. Is that something that you grew up sort of hearing a lot?
3: I mean, it is in, it's in the society, like people frown upon someone who thinks they're all that. And and you really have to be like super duper mega talented in something for you to be able to say, you know, yeah, I'm really good at this. And people will just nod along. Like, I think that is, it's a special like Swedish trait. Uh, you can, yeah, it's called Jantelagen. You can look it up. Sure. It's a... <laughs> strange thing to be honest because it's you know of course you should feel good about yourself and of course you should like if you want to share what you do with others you need to get over yourself and just invite people uh, which I do but there is still a resistance thinking like when you asked me to do this interview I was like uh am I interesting like how (laughs) do I think of myself as interesting who would listen to this And, and, you know, all those thoughts come and sort of wrestle the other thoughts of, like, of course I've got something to say. And, of course, it's, you know, interesting to to listen to.
1: I think that comes back to um, something that all artists struggle with, that we're our own worst critic all the time. Mm -hmm.
2: Does it have to do with the field being super competitive as well? Um, When I lived in London, I was just like
3: a, you know, you say, a little fish in in a big pond. Like, there were so many people doing early music, and they were so good at it. And I was just, like, this little part of it. Um, So then it was really hard to a massive competition. Here, like, once I moved back, I'm a bigger fish in a smaller pond, and there's not loads of people out there doing the same thing as I do. So I think competition-wise, I, I don't feel, actually, that I have that much to, like... I don't have to defend myself that much. But I guess it's it's just making a making a big deal out of yourself is strange, but at the same time I'm I'm not I'm not making a big deal out of myself. I'm making a big deal out of the music. Exactly. And, and and the melancholy and and you know, perhaps giving it um, for people to experience in a different way.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think it's and,
1: important to um, you know for all artists to sort of think um, you know look at their work as how they're serving the audience. So yeah. you know this is this is why you should come to my performance because there's something in it for you. Not come and watch me sing.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it even sort of uh, it struck me a few weeks ago when uh, I went to see my lutenist because obviously I have to I have to collaborate with a new lutenist. So this was the first time that we uh, got together and, and played this sort of music. And um, like halfway through our day of rehearsal, I sort of saw myself from like, from an outsider's perspective or something. And I thought, like, look at this person sitting here, reading from these crazy, like music sheets, this facsimile, uh, knowing things and saying like, oh, maybe we could do, it's more like this here. And, and this actually intends to do like, I, I saw myself knowing loads of things about uh, this music and, and about, you know, how to perform it and, and having loads of experience that I didn't know that I had, like, until I sort of presented it to someone else. It was, it was quite a great experience of thinking, wow, look at this. Because I also remember so vividly being in, in panic, um, having loads of music to learn for a course that I was doing in Germany. With this type of, um, like reading the music from this type of music sheets, which is like the old version of um, like a music notification, like how, how do you say? Music score? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's really, really difficult. Like you spend half of the rehearsal trying to figure out what, what does it say? <laughs>
1: I remember doing a class um, in when I was at uni and it started at 8.30 in the morning and we had to um, we had to analyse these old medieval scores. <laughs> it was just the, the biggest challenge in the world and to do that at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, So clean. I feel your pain.
3: <laughs> yeah, and just like doing that with the, the best early musicians in London, like I did, and really struggling. And then a few years later, like sort of finding yourself explaining it to someone else yeah it was, it was a really good feeling can you tell us about your master's project um yeah uh, my project has sort of developed um i applied with a certain question i was wondering what happens to my voice if i really feel the text and if i start from uh, the text instead of the music what happens to my voice when i sing but that it's sort of grown to be a bit about that, but also about um, how can I use a music to create meetings with my audience. What do you mean? Um, often, often when I perform, like often when you perform classical music, it's it's very much the audience sit over there and the performance. The performers are over here. And um, there's like a like an invisible wall between us. Like uh, I do my performing bit and you do your audience bit. And we don't really engage quite often because the, the music is somehow more important or something. I don't know. And, and maybe like afterwards, the audience can perhaps not even feel sort of safe enough to approach me and say something. They just leave. And I've been standing there... Giving my all, and I I don't get any feedback, and I've always felt a bit sad about that. So I think now my my project has started to become more of like how can I how can I meet my audience? What sort of performances can I make that um, you know sort of shatters this wall? And and how can I how can I um, have a dialogue and communicate with my audience, with the text and, and with the music. And I think In Darkness is like on that road. Like I, I, I always want feedback afterwards to hear what did you experience. And I've sort of, um, I'm planning two other performances as well, which is on the same theme of, I've, I've got one in mind that it's gonna be a one-to-one performance.
2: So I'm gonna have one uh, audience member and see what happens. Just one. Wow, that's that's. It's gonna be a unique experience for that person.
3: Yeah, I'm hoping that be a new experience for both. So it's not just
2: mm-hmm. you know
3: me giving and them receiving, but it's sort of a reciprocal thing. That's what I'm hoping. Can I ask what's coming next for Anna? Uh, next up is uh, "In Darkness, Let Me Dwell," Sweden edition. Uh, so on the 29th of October, I'm going to perform it here in Gothenburg. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that a lot. And then before that, I'm actually next week, I'm going to do um, some sort of um, performance piece. It's um, a cult- culture night in Gothenburg. And uh, I'm going to collaborate with a dancer and an actor. And we're going to do um, something, a piece that we call Friendshipping, and it's a devised piece, so we sort of, uh, we just came together with different ideas and, and uh, worked something out. So we we built something together, which is um, not the way I usually work, because usually everything starts from music.
1: Great, and Anna, can you tell us where people can go if they would like to find out more about you? Well, ironically,
3: it's Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, so it's facebook.com
1: slash Anna Thunstrom Music. And we'll put a link up to that as well. So, Anna, thanks so much for talking to us today. Uh, You've been really addressed some really personal issues, and we really appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners will as well. Um, Thanks so much for being here.
2: And good luck for all your future plans. Thank you. It was really nice talking to
0: you. Who so- saw? Yeah. Thanks for listening to Dreaming Artificially. Join our Facebook group at Artificial Dreams Creative Collaboration. That's A-R-T-Y-F-I-C-I-A-L. Or visit our website at artificialdreams.org.